and welcome to Funny Business, a podcast for free thinkers. I'm Lockie Bradford. And I'm Robbie Hicks. On today's episode, we sit down with the Iron Man, Kane Eckstein. He is the Iron Man, isn't he? He's the Nutrigain Kellogg's, he's the poster boy. Poster boy. And Guinness World Record holder for most pull-ups or chin-ups in 24 hours. I don't know how many I've ever done in my life, mm. but he's done more in 24 hours than I've done in my life. Well, more in 12 hours, really. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Hey, this episode is unreal. We unpack what it takes to be uh, the top of the top when it comes to athletes. And he's just, he's a cool dude. I really enjoyed this chat. I hope you guys enjoy. Don't forget to mention Sluggos, mate. Get in them little dicky bathers and show him some love. I want him to come down to Vico and get the dick togs out <laughs> and wear them in the cold water. Well, that's, well, I was thinking that like, I would totally rock them, but I don't think I'm bringing the heat. You know what I mean? Like, I just don't think I'm, I don't have that confidence. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, you're going to love this episode. Enjoy it. Yeah. I suppose we'll just kick it off with a pretty simple one. As always, what's been happening in your world? Um, well, I suppose it's, um, it's a little different for, for everyone. Like, like with Sluggos, I had a really good run with it to start with, but I suppose with any sort of business, um, especially coming out of like, a lot of work with China. Um, it's sort of the coronavirus didn't really do a lot of these businesses any favours. Um, so that, it sort of worked out going into winter as well. So it wasn't the worst time for, for like orders to get put back and stuff like that. But um, yeah, it was definitely like a cooling off period, which was all right. Um, I'm also doing my pilot licence as well. So um, that sort of let me focus a little bit on that and um, do a few exams. And and because um, it's pretty hard to, like I like to focus 100% on on certain things at certain times. I think when I sort of split my sort of time up, I, I lose a bit of interest with things and I'm not doing it 100%. So it was good to sort of, you know, I did my private pilot license and stuff like that, that exam. And, and that's like a big three and a half hour exam. So it was good to focus on things like that going over that coronavirus period when everyone sort of locked at home and um, like my girlfriend and stuff, they were off work. So you know, I suppose like everyone else in Australia, you're having beers every day pretty much. <laughs> so it was nice to have beers and just study. And, um, yeah, I wasn't doing anything fitness-wise through that sort of um, period. So it's, it's good to get back to a bit of a routine and now um, training again. I've got a few things coming up. Um, yeah, so, so I'm back into training and um, yeah, enjoying it. That's sick. That's, Pilot license. Yeah, that's, that's How many insane. hours? Because you're going to have so many hours of flight time. Don't you to get your license? Yeah, yeah it's, um, oh, it's sort of different schools are different. Like I think the minimum you can have is 150. I think a few schools can get away with doing it like that. But with my one, it's 200. And that's the usual sort of um boy that's to get like just your commercial pilot license then you do your multi-engine instrument license stuff so if you come out with about 250 hours and then it's like our building to get to like 500 and then um and hopefully i'll like maybe go into doing like skydive pilot um so skydive a little bit as well so um, that's what got me into it um, to start with just talking to the pilots and everything when I was skydiving and um, so that'd be fun to, to be the pilot that just to try and get your hours up like and then um, see what happens from there move on to maybe going to airlines or something later on in life fucking hell that's the choice huh I want to do that I'll just go make it happen everything you do you just piss gold mate piss excellence mate it seems that way <laughs> yeah yeah oh, um, yeah I don't know I like to keep busy and <laughs> And obviously with the coronavirus thing, it was, um, yeah, it was good to sort of work out well to do something different. That's insane. My uncle's a pilot and there's, it's, it's interesting when you see like just the amount of effort. So you have to do 200 hours and it allows you to be 
is that like guide free and go on the plane yourself? Is yeah. That what, is that what you get? Yeah. Well, you can get like your private pilot license, and I think that's another forty hours of flying. Um, and then you can pretty much just fly anywhere in Australia with that. But to do like commercially and make money off it, it's sort of like two hundred, um, pretty the minimum. Um, but then to like an airline pilot and stuff, they want like fifteen hundred hours um, to sort of get move into that. And then I suppose that's why a lot of the guys just go our building, either go up north, which I probably won't want to do. So I'd rather be like a skydive pilot or something here in Byron Bay, which is down the road and um, sort of work my hours up like that. I don't know how I'd go skydiving. Would you go skydiving? Yeah, I'm a bit stupid though. I'm a bit like, I'll just give anything a crack and not think too much about it. But um, I'm pretty scared of heights and I reckon I'd shit myself. But I suppose once you're locked in, can you remember your first skydiving experience? Like how old were you and, and what got you into that? Um... I'm not, I've sort of got a little bit of fear of heights and that's sort of why I wanted to um, sort of get into it to start with. I just sort of thought, you know, might as well do something that um, I really didn't think I would ever want to do. And like, because I got the same sort of thing. If I'm up on a high balcony and I'm on the right on the end of the balcony, you sort of get that sort of, you know, like fear of like just something giddy about it. And, um, and I'd never done a tandem before or anything. So um, yeah, I just signed up to do my skydive license and drove to um, the closest place was a place called Tagulua, um, which is like two hours um, sort of northwest of us and just drove there by myself and um, did like a day of theory. And then you just, by that afternoon, you jump out of a plane. Yeah. And then um, you do like 16 jumps to get like your sort of, um, can't remember what they call it to start with, but like your, sky, your solo skydive license. And then you just get your A license and then B license and stuff like that. And you just move up. Yeah. So you've done, you've done heaps. Yeah, oh, oh, not heaps. Like skydive, you move into skydive and you realise like these guys done 10,000 jumps and stuff like that. So I've done like 220 or so jumps, um, like solo. But um, yeah, like you just... You, but I was like, I got into the tunnel flying as well. Um, there's like a tunnel here in Surface Paradise, like an iFly tunnel. And there's, I think there's one in Melbourne and stuff as well. So I got into that and you can like improve your skills really quickly, um, like tunnel flying. Yeah, so I did like, 10 hours of that just to get because i got obsessed with skydiving like everything i sort of get obsessed with i get like it wasn't just the thrill of jumping out of the plane which is cool i wanted to get good like it turns into a sport and you're there with other guys so you get nervous about jumping out because you don't want to stuff up like the routine you sort of planned with like the other experienced guys so i wanted to be good at it and um yeah i improved really really quick um, but then like that, like then I've got to um, do Ironman stuff outside of that. Because once I skydive and stuff, I start not care about like Ironman racing and everything. So like you kind of like I have to like not go and then just like focus on going swimming training and everything. Otherwise, I just won't really care about it so much. Um, yeah, so it's sort of just weighing up those sort of things because it'd be fun to skydiving every day. But, 100% um, for those who are into it. Oh, mate. That is insane. Like you seem like you you do a lot of different things. We well, obviously do a lot of different things, being an Ironman, skydive, and all that fucking crazy shit. How, what what interests you about that sort of stuff? Like what interests you about taking on new sports and new, you know, a new arena, something that you're unfamiliar with? It's something that you're kind of addicted to, or you love you love trying new things and and learning the techniques and and mastering it, or is it just yeah, curiosity? Yeah. Oh, I mainly just got into it to start with just because I, um, like, I really thought that was probably the most thing that would scare me the most, which is jumping out of a plane. Like, I'd never done it. And I, I thought, I didn't think I'd really like it, but I just, like, got to a stage and I was like, like, if anything was going to sort of, like, if I could, could do that, then I'll do anything kind of thing. Um, and then I had no real boundaries of stopping me to do anything. And that was probably the biggest thing I would um, 
sort of hate to do. So I just sort of signed up and just took it on. And then like, I actually really liked it. So I sort of got obsessed by like doing it. And then like, I'll talk to the pilots and stuff. And then that got me into thinking like, maybe I could fly a plane and do that. You know, once I get too old to um, run around and race um, professionally. So, you know, you can be a pilot till you're like 65 years old. So it's pretty cool to be able to travel the world and do that sort of thing, you know, later in life. Like I might not use that for three or five years or something, but it'll be there um, later on. Yeah. Unreal. I was just trying to explain to Locke before the cool and get a gold. He doesn't, he doesn't understand it. Give us a, give us a spiel of why it is like the ultimate Ironman race. Um, well, it's changed a little bit, but for me, like growing up, like one cool thing was my dad did it back in the, don't even know it was the eighties. I think it was the nineties as well. He might've done it a couple of times. So he got seventh in that race when I was like, I don't even know if I was born. I might've been a baby. But um, he wasn't the best swimmer and stuff. Like he was like, I don't think he really swam that much at all. Like he was a good paddler um, and surfer and he's a lifeguard for like 25 years. So it was pretty cool that he did it. And he was in like the Cool and Gatta Gold movie. Um, I don't know if um, you guys have actually seen the, the movie, like the, like the Hollywoody movie of the Cool and Gatta no, Gold. I haven't seen the movie. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty cool movie. Like I watched it a few times, but like my dad was an extra in that. And like he's a lifeguard here, like the old, guys like you can see him in the movie as extras like holding the trophy and having them on their shoulders and stuff and um and i'll talk to those i'll talk about the after parties at the movie and everything and like so i just it was like just had a cool vibe around the event um and then like in 2005 that was the first year they brought it back from like you know 92 or something so it hadn't been around for a long time and then um yeah everyone was just talking about this crazy race and i was I think I just turned 19 and then I, um, so it was like the first race I've done against the older guys. And then I did it in 2005 and that was, I won that. My brother was like, you know, I was 19 and he was 21 or so. So he was the, the guy that sort of had the pressure on him to win and um, not sure what he got in it. He might've got third or fifth or something. Um, and then from then, yeah, I just got older and got better. And um, I tried to do like triathlon and stuff after that because I realized I was good at long distance. Um, and then a lot of people tried to, you know, tell me to go on a triathlon and everything. So I um, did a few things with like the AIS and went to Canberra and stuff. And then, but then, you know, a year or so later, I'd always come back and do it again. And then I had like a year, I did it four years in a row and won it four years in a row. And, um, but that was like, then the race was surface paradise up to cool and gather and back to surface paradise. So it was, um, pretty like iconic that burly to surface area is um you know the main part of the gold coast so and that would be the last run whereas they've changed it now it's from cool and gutter down to like miami and then back to cool and gutter so it's a little bit different a little bit shorter i think it's a little bit easier race and um doesn't really use the the sort of the best parts of the gold coast i don't think but that's what they're doing now what about after the first race? Did the sponsors come on board after that? Did your world sort of turn upside down or did it take a bit of a, a longer period to, to set that brand up and to, you know, or, yeah. or how did that unfold? Yeah, I was still um, like, oh, I was still, and I was, I was probably only good at the cool and get it. Like I was good at a junior. I got one Australian titles and stuff in under 19s, but I was still a little bit young and smaller guy to sort of compete against the older guys in short course races. So I was still not, uh, you know, going the best in the short course race, but if you put it over an hour and a half, like I could just grind them out. So it took me still a couple of years, but then once I got to like 23, 24 and I won a Nutrigrain series and I started winning a lot of those Nutrigrain races. And that was when like Guy Leach and um, 
Um, a lot of sort of companies come on board like Renault and Red Bull and they all sponsored the series. So the series was quite big then and it was on like live on Channel 9. And um, so that was that was good. Like we, we got really good sponsors. And then you got a lot of different sort of like you appearances on TV shows and did Dance with the Stars and stuff like that. So I actually went to Melbourne like every week for, you know, nine weeks or something for Dance with the Stars. So that was, um, yeah, like all what those. Was that like? Yeah. It was so cool. how'd you go? Can you oh, dance? I, mean, I went pretty well, but um, like I say to all my fellas, all my friends when we're out having drinks and the music comes on, I said, oh, I was all just politics. <laughs> and it kind of was though. You could sort of tell like Brendan Favola and Shannon Knoll and stuff were on that year. And um, you could tell sort of who was, you know, the guys that were um, contracted off Channel 7 and the ones that were just had your own sort of, you know, like just pay every week as you go and like a little contract. So them, the guys that, you know, had the deals with Channel 7, they, they're the ones that were going to be there at the end. So I sort of knew where I was, but it was good. I didn't really get along with my dance partner too much, though. She was a bit too intense for me. Um, yeah, she I wasn't. She but wasn't. you got it done anyway. You, you're a gun. You smoothed it over. You got the job done and you were rigged. Sounds like you were rigged a little bit, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was good. A lot of the other guys <laughs> and girls had a lot more fun than um than I'd like my dance partner, she just thought it was the world championship. She wanted to win. Like she was real, real hard on it. No me. smiling allowed in the dance <laughs> yeah, And just heaps of crying. And uh, <laughs> whereas everyone else was just there to have a good time and like you wish friend for bowler, Shannon Noll and stuff. So we were, you know, like having drinks every day pretty much when we were there, like before and after dances. Um, so it was a fun time. Yeah, it was epic. I loved it. That's sick. That's yeah. funny. I can't believe that she just took it too serious and there's no fun around in the dance studio. Yeah. Dancing yeah. should be fun, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, maybe, maybe she's trying to become a star, you know what I mean? And, and it's a very serious time, you know, for her. But for you, mate, you're already a star, you know what I mean? You're dancing with the star. So <laughs> <laughs> you know, it could be a little bit of that, I don't know. But anyway, it doesn't matter. You've done heaps of fucking other cool shit. You've had plenty of cool opportunities in, in terms of the media and all that sort of stuff. But Let's rewind and take it back a little bit to your journey into surf lifesaving. Like, how did that all begin for you? Like, the passion, the inspiration. You mentioned your old man, um, your brother living close to the beach and stuff like that. How did it all happen for you? Yeah, I, I think, um, like, my family here in the Gold Coast, we were probably always going to um, get into it. Like, my dad, as I said, he was a lifeguard here at sort of Curra Mermaid area for 25 years and like he just loved surplus and like I'll give it to him back then it was a really really big sport like we used to um, train at Trevor Hendy's place on like Tuesday and Thursday afternoons like and he lived on the beach at Hedges Avenue like you know like Kelly Slater would stay at his place um, for the um, you know Quicksilver Pro at Snapper every year so we'd be doing ski training on a Thursday and Kelly would be out surfing you know so the right of us for you know a Snapper event and Trevor lived on the beach at Hedges in like you know Hedges Rose like the million dollar you know block of land on um, you know Mermaid Beach there so and you know those good guys that were on um, Baywatch and all sorts of things so like being a dad and having your kids grow up and you've been a lifeguard, you sort of, you would want it, want them thinking this is what they're going to get. And we were good. Like I was, you know, growing up, my brother was obviously older than me and he was um, pretty much good at everything he did cross country and obviously surf life saving. Then I was like the young kid coming through. So yeah. And like, obviously dad and stuff put a lot of pressure on us. So I was, that's why I'm pretty good with it now with racing, just cause I know like back then I was so nervous with everything I did. Like I just second wasn't an option. Like you just had to win like that, but that was it. 
Um, so I just took it like when I was like 13, 14, 15, like I was the most professional athlete you could possibly be. Like I didn't care about anything else, not school or nothing. Like everything was about racing. Um, and that was just, you know, down from like from how my dad would be. Um, you know, like I remember getting up to go to the bathroom middle of the night, my dad would be out in the lounge with his earpiece in so I didn't wake anyone up just watching the TV by the couch watching old Ironman races and this would be at like 11 o'clock at night every night he'd just be watching Ironman races and I'd just be going going to the bathroom middle of the night so like I knew how much he loved it so it was good to sort of try and you know impress your parents like that um whereas like my mum's a bit more cruisy <laughs> like she knows she always said to me you know growing up you got to get a job <laughs> She'd always say, get a job get a job whereas dad would say no no you got to train go train <laughs> like you got to rest and train that's it so um and then obviously see my brother he got sort of the tail end oh i had a good time with um ironman racing but you know he was in the uncle toby's um you know, when he was 19 or so, but then that had finished by the time I come into it. So I saw, you know, what he had when I was younger. And then, you know, I just wanted that. Um, and seeing those guys, the older guys like Phil Clayton and um, Trevor Hendy and stuff, like they, those were like rock stars to us. So that's, you know, everything you sort of wanted to be when you're a kid. And it is, it's a good iconic sport here for the Gold Coast. Even if I had kids, you know, you want them to be in the ocean and get those sort of surf skills because that's something you're going to use for the rest of your life. Yeah. 100%. One of, the, one of the things I really like about surf lifesaving is the community ele element. Like, you can't compete in all the events unless you've done your volunteer, voluntary patrol hours, which is so different to any other sort of sports when you're trying to do stuff. It's like, hey, you have to give back before you're allowed to compete. It's a weird sort of thing to think of. Like, you don't think of that when you go play footy. You know what I mean? Nah, do the drink bottles and then you can come train. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's good. It, it obviously sets the, the culture up for success and, and, and that sort of, yeah, like you're saying, empowering the community and everyone helping each other out. I always like going to the events and going to the carnivals and just think my, as a kid, I did nippers. I was, I was not a water athlete. I'm not a water, I'm on the, I'm on the beach. You know, I'm on the beach. I'm doing sprints. I'm doing flags. It wasn't too bad. It wasn't too bad, but it's the, um, turning out to the carnivals, just like the specimens of people like the, I've been in lots of different sports. And I actually just think the physique and like the fitness and the, just like the bodies of the people that compete in these events, it's just, I don't know, second to none, I reckon. The Ironman body. Yeah. What is yeah. it about the endurance? What do you think it is about the support compared to, say, I guess we, we compare it to, say, AFL or rugby players or stuff like that? They wouldn't be able to last a second against people who would do the endurance. Different, different skill sets. Yeah, I think the best thing about, uh, like, like, obviously, Ironman skill depends what sort of races you're doing if you're just really into like races like pulling out of gold you're going to be super super fit and um like we're really good swimmers like i used to always say about my brother like he could have went to the olympics for, as, as a 10 kilometer swimmer or he could have went to the olympics as like a kayaker like he was that good at paddling and swimming and there's not many sports when you can do that you can go like and he legitimately could if he put in two years of work he could have went to the olympics for like a 10 kilometer swimmer or like a kayaker and he was, you know, growing up in high school, he was always set about second in Australia for um, cross country. There was always one guy from New South Wales that used to beat him. So he's a really good runner growing up as well. Um, but you get that sort of surf skills that you don't really get from a lot of other um, sort of sports. Like it's very skilly. Like, like, you know, you could get a person that's never been on a ski and just sit on a ski and you'll fall off to the other, like, the other side. Like, like pay like give me 50 bucks and you can sit on the ski for 20 seconds like they won't be able to do it like it's 
And you don't realize that when you've been on it since you were 14 years old, like how actually, you know, tippy and like much skill you need for as a board to get out and six foot surf. Um, whereas like triathlon and stuff like that is to sort of get on a bike and bike ride, whereas everyone sort of can do that. But in saying that, I think Ironman triathlon, I think those guys are the fittest guys in the world. That's why, I, you know, after I did the Cooling Gator Gold the first couple of years, I wanted to go and do like the Hawaii Ironman. I actually went over and did the Hawaii Ironman and stuff. Just got thought they, and like I met a lot of those guys, like, um, you know, Chris McCormack and stuff like that. And I thought they're the, the and I still think they are, they're the fittest athletes in the world. Mm. Um, but like those guys, they can't swim as fast as us. Like I could, like when I went over there, I think I got out of the water like two and a half minutes in front of the swim in Hawaii. Um, but then obviously those guys are very, really, really good runners and bike riders, but they just couldn't, you know, like jump in the surf and be able to swim in the surf like us or paddle or like, you know, do pull-ups like we can, like, you know, they don't have much upper body strength. Whereas like an Ironman, like surf Ironman guys were very strong as well. So it's like, it's a whole mix of different things. Like it's very um, strength based, but endurance based, but very skilled as well. And there's not many sports that sort of do that. No, not to cover everything like that. What is it about the endurance sports that appeals to you? Because I, I feel like it definitely takes a particular mindset, like to stick in it and grind it out. Like I'm, it's a mental game. How much is it mental? You know what I mean? That endurance thing. Do you have to train your, obviously train your physique and your muscles and stuff like that. But what about your mind muscle? Is there much, thought of that going into it before something like a guinness guinness world record yeah i I just i I like the mental planning of like planning something out like theory wise and then um and just doing that myself and i don't really listen to any that's why i always like training by myself i like planning my training 12 weeks and then having the goal at the end of 12 weeks and then winning so you like you succeeded and then like but you succeeded your plan as well like i like knowing and i think i'm pretty good at that and like different people be able to plan a like a, a program for that person to get there so i like that sort of aspect about it but my girlfriend she thinks i've got ocd and like i sort of do like she thinks you know, she sees all the things i do and she goes you're really ocd about different things and um like i can even with training like um if you say you're going to do this for the next seven days even if i go out and have six beers or something i'll come home and i'll train like i just have to do it like i won't let myself not do it because i don't think i and I think, like, I don't deserve it if I don't do it. Like, I think, you know, winning's like, a deserving thing. And um, you need to put that effort and dedication to be able to deserve to win. Um, so, like, I think that... And I sort of always knew that. Like, I was... When I was a kid, like, I had a lot of superstitions and little OCD things. And I think it's sort of taken its place in training. It's probably good for, like, an endurance athlete to have those sort of tendencies because, um, yeah, you can't... Everything's got to be structured. And I'm very structured with different things I do. And that's probably, you know, the why I like endurance um sort of events and training just because i like the whole planning of it and i don't really have days off and i don't miss training sessions when i've when i enjoy myself and i've got an actual plan of what i want to do yeah what's a normal training schedule look like how do you train to be an eye like yeah give us the diet give us the give us the the spiel like do you do there's burpees there's running there's swimming there's bloody you're eating bloody healthy as (laughs) give us us some some yeah give us some tips yeah, well, I'm probably a little bit different. Like, I'm a lot smaller than those guys. So, I can definitely eat too healthy. And I find when I when I go better, I'm just eating normal food. Um, but, you know, in saying that, there's some of those guys that just can never get a good physique kind of thing. They just always look like they're a little tubby or whatever. So, I suppose those guys probably can't do that. They're probably, you know, they're a lot stricter with their food. And I think it's just genetics and just how you're sort of, you know... Um, 
brought up. But I think when I did go over and did the Hawaii Ironman thing, I think that did change my body a little bit and made me just that little bit skinnier. And I just sort of lost that sort of little bit of, um, you know, blubber that I sort of had when I was like a little bit younger or whatever. But um, yeah, I think the the general things like get up, you're sort of swimming training at 5.30 till 7.30 in the morning. And then you'll either do running or gym during the day. And then everyone's sort of just paddling in the afternoon. That's sort of a general um training thing but i'd always um yeah like to train by myself so i'd sort of train at 2 30 in the afternoon but most clubs are training at four yeah so i'd get everything done by like four o'clock but like then when i if i'm doing like a pull-up record or something like that it's just yeah trying to plan what i sort of wanted to to do like when i did the last one i did six weeks i did 1500 pull-ups a day for six weeks and didn't miss a day so i just did that um, and that was sort of my main block. And then I did a few different sessions. Like I did a 12 hour session, like after that six weeks, had like a week easy and then did one 12 hour block of like my record pace. And that was all right. So then I knew I could sort of do it for 24 hours. Yeah. But how many did you knock off in the 24 hours? What was the far, how many did you do? Um, 7,600. <laughs> how were the arms feeling? Uh, oh, no, nah, that was, yeah, the second, because I've done it twice before. I did it in New York, um, like... Was it on the Today Show? Six years ago. I did it in New York on the New York Today Show. Over yeah. There. And then I did it here at Northcliffe Surf Club on our Today Show um, the second time, like two years after. And the first time was, like, pretty... Because it was a whole lot of that went into it. So Guinness World Records, so I was a 24-hour record, and then I went to New York to do it. The Today Show were all good with it. Like um, I knew a guy on NBC and he got me on, which was like a massive thing to get on their Today Show. Um, but then when I got over there, Guinness World Records said, you've got to have two judges at all times, but those two judges can't do any more than two hours. So I was like, well, over 24 hours, then I've got to get like 24 different people to volunteer their time. Whereas the Today Show, because I just said to them, I need two judges. Today Show were like, okay, we'll give you two, two of our employees for the whole 24 hours. And I was like, yes, yeah, sweet, it's done. But then when I got there, they said, no, they can only do two hours since you can't do over. And this was the Guinness World Record said this to me like three days before it. And then I thought it was done. Like I, I thought, where are we going to find, you know, New York going to donate their time from one till three, like AM. Like Just a shitty time slot. <laughs> yeah, he's got the graveyard shit. So then one of my mates over there in New York, he just got on his phone and got all his mates and he got me 12 hours of people. So I only had 12 hours of people. So I was going for the 24 hour record, but I was lucky the 24 hour record wasn't, I think it was like 3,800 then. So it wasn't that big. So I only had 12 hours to do it because I didn't have any more people after 12 hours. So I started at 8am and I had it till 8pm, but like no one knew this, but I didn't have anyone after eight. So I did the 24-hour record in 12 hours and I got the 12-hour record as well. But I did like 4,210 then. And then once it was on that Today Show, heaps of people would try to do it like because obviously it, it went big. And they also, no one really had broke it down in a minutes. Like they all just got on there and started to do 20 and then 18 and then just, you know, just did it like that. Whereas I, like probably the OCD thing, I worked it out. I break it in a minute. So I did it every minute. And then once people saw that, a lot of people tried to do it and... Like it got up there, like then it got to 7,300, like after, you know, two years. And then I did it again and did like 7,620, I think it was. Um, Are you still yeah. the record holder? Has anyone broken it? Uh, I think a guy did like 18 more than me um, 
Oh yeah, I'd be I'd be checking the stats on that one. I'd be like, hey, check the judges, mate. Were the judges two? watching? Oh, no, that one. <laughs> Discount that one, thanks. Yeah, yeah. Whereas, yeah, like the second time I did it, I was super technical with it. But whereas the first time, like I did in the like because the Guinness World Records supplied a judge um, because I was like doing it on the Today Show. Obviously, they thought it was big, so they wanted to get their guy in the blazer and stuff. And he was sweet. Like he hardly even looked at my footage. He was like, yeah, you got it. <laughs> Whereas, like, the second time here on the Gold Coast, they didn't supply anyone, and they took, like, a, like, yeah, they were a nightmare to, to um, go through, and I was, like, way more professional the second time than the first time. But, yeah, so it's an ordeal. Like, they're pretty full on with it, yeah. What was the target per minute? Oh, it was basically, like, six... Uh, well, it was, like, a story then, too, because it was... I think it was 6,800. I don't think they like Australians having this sort of stuff, because it was 6,800... <laughs> That's what it was um, for like, you know, the eight months or whatever leading up to it. That's what I thought I had to get. And then I started that morning and they updated it that night when I was like 12 hours in. And I don't know why, but one of the guys that was, you know, I think he was like the camera, those two guys that were like the camera and the live stream guys. He just went on to Guinness World Records website just for some reason and looked and he was like, it's been, they've changed the record and it's like 7,300 now. And they just updated it like 12 hours into my attempt. So if no one looked at it, I would have went to 6,000. I would have probably kept on going, but I could have went to 6,800, just stopped. And not got the record. When they updated it, when I was doing it, like not in the eight months leading up to it, like when I was going to do it and I applied for it and everything, they updated it actually when I was doing it. So then it changed 12 hours in and I, like, I had to do like 500 more. Yeah, so I did like six a minute for 18 hours and then I dropped it back to like five a minute for a couple of hours and four a minute and I think I've stopped at like 23 hours. That's what I did, yeah. But I was like gone, like completely gone. Like, yeah, wasn't it like take to recover or something like that? It was just, um, yeah, like like it was the, just the like depletion of energy. Like I just, I couldn't, like I physically couldn't speak or anything. Like I couldn't put words together. The ambulance come and everything like was full on. Yeah. They had to like, put me on a drip for like an hour because the Today Show were there and they wanted to do an interview, but I couldn't, I couldn't say any words. Like I, I, I couldn't speak. Like my mates for like the last two hours, um, cause I had people that stayed there the whole 24 hours and they had music going and everything, but like they had to hold my shoulders and walk me to the bar just because I couldn't walk to the bar straight and everything was full on. Yeah, it was like, it was the gnarliest thing. <laughs> it's a testament to you though, like to, for something to change so close to something you've prepared for for so long and to, and to still get the chocolates and get it done. That yeah. mindset, mate, that's fucking, it's a testament. It just goes to show how far you actually push yourself. And I suppose it's like Ironman. I, I, don't know, I was talking to you a little bit this morning. I was listening to a podcast that you're on and it was about mountain biking and how sometimes the rocks just fall and it's, it's out of your control. You just have to play the course. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, um, yeah. I think that mindset, it's, it just reminded me then of, of how you went about that. Like yeah. just unpredictability coming at you and you just get yeah. it done. I like to sort of think about like, I don't know, if something like that happens, like it's me against the world kind of thing. Like I try to find it as an anger thing. I like to, I don't really, you know, like you could get down on it and then just, you know, sulk your way through it or you can just like get real pissed off and you're like, that's what you want to throw at me i'll beat you like sort of thing and then just use it like that you know obviously you can't do everything like so some things are too big for you to do but you know i always think you know if someone else can do it then i can do it so i I love that for it um yeah and yeah unless do you you take some of that same stuff in like the mindset around it how have you changed it now that you do some coaching stuff 
how, how do you take your OCD approach and, and give it to someone else? Yeah, uh... I don't know, probably softer than what, like I know my dad was heaps harder on us than what I am on kids, but like I like, I don't know, it's harder when you, you grow up because obviously like, I think everyone sort of needs to know what it feels like to lose for sure. Like it's not that bad to, to look, like obviously everyone loses. Like that's just what happened. Like I love the UFC as well. Like I love um, mixed martial arts stuff. And you watch sport like that, like everyone loses. Like you, you can't really, you know, and I like watching um, guys, how they act when they lose. Like, that's what everyone gives Conor McGregor, like, shit. But, you know, he's one of the best losers out there. Like, when he loses, he just takes on the chin. He knows, like, that's what happens. And I'm going to come back in, you know, three months anyway. I'm going to fight again. So, like, I like to, you know, obviously teaching kids, like, you know, winning's not everything. But, like, for that five minutes before a race, you're only getting that one opportunity to do it. And if you just, you know, a lot of kids can put their foot on the line and, you know, get like a little bit of you know, scatterbrain and not really focus on exactly what they're going to do. Like you have to really, you know, no one's helping you when your foot's on the line. It's just you and that's the only one that can do it. Um, so you just got to focus and put everything into it. And if you don't win, then, you know, you're not going to wake up Monday morning and regret it and go, oh, I wish I could go back to, you know, Sunday afternoon and do that race again. Because, you know, you're not going to regret it if you knew when your foot's on the line, all right, I'm going to do everything perfect here. And I'm not going to regret it Monday morning. Like, I'm just going to sort of do it. So, I'd, yeah, I try to teach them everything, but I'll, I'll probably a little bit softer in, have, have fun and stuff like that. So, I like them to have fun. Um, but, yeah, and I like, I don't know, I like them to be good kids as well. You know, you don't want to be a little shit. So, uh, 100%. The times have changed too, you know what I mean? Like, that old school approach, it worked at that time, but you can definitely tailor it in a different way now. Like, kids are totally different now. And, yeah, you know, 100%. you can't say some certain things like you could back in the day, but... Um, yeah, no, it's very PC culture. PC culture. What, what about goal setting? For you, it sounds like it's a big important. It's been a big, big importance of how, how you plan. But um, we've talked to a few different people on the podcast around the importance of goal setting. Wouldn't mind getting your thoughts on how do you approach it? How do you tackle it? How do you set goals for yourself? Um, oh, for me, I, I don't know. I think depends who you are like it, it does like you can't have unrealistic goals like a lot of you know my mates and stuff have unrealistic goals and I can just see it and I'm like you'd like no matter what you're going to be disappointed because you're not going to do that what your goal is like you can't just have like something that's semi-achievable and you'll probably do it like you can't think you know if you the best you've gone is a 13th and now your goal is just to win it like you have to win it like you well you, you're probably going to be disappointed then you're going to quit and then that's why you know most people quit but um you know, I like to obviously enjoy what it is, but when, when I think about a goal, you just got to have a good plan. You got to, you know, it's got to be realistic to do it and then have a good plan to get there. And, but that's the hardest thing is going through the grind of the boringness of doing it every single day. And that's what most people can't do. They'll um, just have days off here and there and then they'll, um, you know, quit and do something else for as, yeah, I think like if I do this pull up record again, like that's, I'll, I'll, I'll have a good plan to do it. And that's what I'm hoping to do and uh, sort of getting there anyway. So, yeah. Mate, well, if you need a judge, let us know. We'll, we're on board, mate. We'll, we'll do the graveyard shift, 2 a.m. to 3 a.m., whatever it is, <laughs> 2, 2 a.m. to 4 a.m. Yeah, no, I'll definitely use it. So, yeah, but, um, yeah, I, I, you always need goals. And I think, like, most of the kids, but, yeah, it's just got to have a, a good plan to get there and not be hard on yourself, um, you know, going 
going and like a lot of kids do put too much into training and um, get too competitive um, with, you know, like it doesn't really matter what, what you've done to get there as long as you, you do it on the day. And that's what I, I said a lot, a lot of the kids last, you know, season when we were coming into the Australian and the Queensland titles and stuff and what I sort of said before, yeah, like when you're right before a race and I still even try and think about it now, like before my foot goes on the line, like you might be the favourite and everyone thinks you're going to win. But uh, it's you're not getting any advantage whatsoever when you're standing there with you know the 25 other guys like you're and as long as you sort of know mentally I'm gonna just go as hard as I can do everything right in those next 15 minutes because like I knew when it, when I was growing like growing up you'd wake up Monday morning and you just think I wish I could do that race again and then but if you sort of think about it right before it. You just won't have that because like you you might not be the best and like you can't be the best at everything and if you get beaten like you got beaten fair and square and you can sort of know oh I like I physically I knew what I was going to do and I got beaten so there was nothing really else I could do. Do you do you use visualization techniques? I know we spoke to um, a few people about that. Is that something that's that you use? Yeah. Uh, yeah. If I run like oh, that's why I like doing a lot of running. I like mentally think about different situations and stuff but I don't know if it works or not like visualizing you know winning and stuff like that but um you can and like especially with like race like what we do like there's so much in change like you could rock up to a race and be dead flat or you could rock up to a race in six foot like it complete like it's hard to visualize what's going to happen because like you can't you don't even know what the day is going to be like like if you're talking about races like definitely the worst race I've ever had has been in Victoria because it's been like horrible, horrible conditions. It's been freezing and blowing and wind. And like I was born on the Gold Coast. So like if it's under, you know, 20 degrees water, like I'm having a horrible day. Yeah, rock, <laughs> so, rocking the togs down here in Vico is not, is not yeah. ideal. Hey, a sluggo's going to get a run down in uh, Lawn, Lawn Point or what? <laughs> <laughs> Middle of winter? That, that's the truth. Because we used to go to Portsea every year and stay there. Like if I've had three of the worst days of my life, it's like, all three of them have been a Portsy. Fuck Portsy, huh? Yeah. It's just, um, but then you see times and it's meant to be like a nice place and some days and it's like nice offshore and stuff. I've never seen it like that. Like it's just been blowing a gale and been freezing. So, um, yeah, like with the visualization thing. Like, yeah, uh, when, you're, when I'm training and stuff like that, that's all I think about. Like, oh, that's what fires you up. You think about, you know, you're not thinking about, you know, study or something like that. When I'm training, I'm thinking about racy stuff. Yeah. So I suppose you're visualizing stuff all the time. Love that daydreaming, thinking about what's going to happen. Oh, like, you, you become obsessed with it. It's like anything that you're passionate about, isn't it? You're just thinking about potential opportunities, new things that you can do and how to get better. And What do you think about when you run? Honestly, I, yeah. I, as a kid, and even through until I stopped running, I always just get to a certain point and I was like, fuck, your brain ticks over. And I, my brain's like, you've, you've run enough. You, can probably, <laughs> you probably can stop now if you want to. This is, you've had enough. Like when you go and K's into a thing, like are you, t- are you reminding yourself or are you just keeping on track? Like, hey, I know what I'm focused on. Like you're staying in the moment. Like oh, I'm X amount of kilometers in. I'm, I'm checking my mm. splits. So I know what I'm doing. Or is it? Like, what, what are you thinking about? Because I'm, I'm thinking yeah. about stopping. Netflix, music and other things. Yeah, what is it? Are you, is it, yeah, pure focus? Yeah, yeah. I like to, like, I'm pretty good at, um, especially around the Gold Coast, like, it's not that big. And, like, I love running. Like, obviously, now I'm doing a few different things. But there was one stage when, if, like, I could just do a 20K run every day as, like, my job, it'd be, like, a dream job. Like, I just love 
that sort of just plotting along running, um, especially like in summer. Like I used to always just go out in the middle of the day and do like a 20, 23K run and just you come home. Because it's like a different feeling. Like you can get it for free. You can go out on a Tuesday at 11 o'clock and come back at one o'clock and you've just run, you know, 23K and you're just completely gone. Like You, you can. Like, we can't. Two, oh, two fucking hours. Like, That'd take you buddy eight hours, I reckon. <laughs> yeah, even that, you'd leave at eight o'clock in the morning and come back you know, yeah. at two o'clock in the other or whatever. <laughs> but it doesn't cost any money and you can do it on a Tuesday or a Thursday or whatever and you can come back and you just like, I don't know, I get the same sort of feeling from different things like that than I do if I want to race. Like, like it's a little bit different because you've got people there and stuff. But honestly, if I've like... You know, I didn't know I was going to do this run and then I'm like, shit, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. I'll go for the run. I'll put my running shoes on. And then like, I'll you know go out thinking I'm just going to do a 12K run and then I'll end up doing like a 27K run and I'll come back and I'm just completely done and just sit on the, you know, next to the lounge for, you know, an hour and a half just because, you know, just enjoying it and just sweats just dripping off onto the tiles and stuff. And you just get this feeling of just completely spent and like, I don't know you just got it for free like you got that feeling for free and, and, and it was like a Tuesday and then you like you enjoy dinner that night and you enjoy sleeping that night like everything's just um it's just a good feeling I know you get you get um addicted to that feeling I think and I think obviously that's why runners runners do it runners high I went yeah like a runner's high or whatever I went through a stage when I was just running all the time like last summer um but yeah so I, and yeah, I'm always just thinking about, yeah, races and stuff like that. I listen to a little bit of podcasts and everything, but I like to point, like, pick points and stuff as well, um, you know, like how far it's been. And, like, if someone says, like, I ran from here to here, like, I'm pretty good at knowing distances, like, uh, especially on the Gold Coast. I can, I'll, like, I'm pretty much pinpoint how far it is from this to this and this and everything. Um, but, yeah, so, um, yeah, I like, like that sort of stuff. But, yeah, I love running. Um, and then, you know, you can learn stuff, listen to podcasts and stuff these days. You can learn anything. So it's, uh, it's like going to school. Uh, <laughs> 100%. 100%. I don't know if we're qualified teachers, but <laughs> we'll see how we go. What about recovery? If you're doing some of these such like endurance based, like it's, you're so depleted, like you mentioned before, like your muscles must take time to recover. What sort of, what's on your agenda recovery wise? Um, I like to get, depends how hard you're sort of training. I don't, like, you know, like a lot of the general everyday person just eating well's enough for them. But I suppose if, you, if you're training really hard, like I was always getting a massage, like one massage a week would be really, really good. But just, yeah, just trying to, um, you know, I don't really have too much like supplements and everything, just in general um, training, but trying to have a protein shake and stuff after like long, like if you're doing a long run and stuff like that, that's really good to sort of get back into your muscles and stuff after that. Or if you're doing gym workouts and everything, like I was always sort of the smaller guy um, against, you know, some of these Ironmen. So trying to, you know, if I'm doing gym, make the most of it and trying to put on a bit of muscle and stuff like that. So always trying to sort of uh, recover your bodies like that. But I hated, like I said, with the Victorian thing, I hated ice baths and stuff. Like anything that gets me <laughs> yeah. hot water I'm not into. So yeah. Uh, when I was at Northcliffe and um, they'd get like the big bins out and throw the, the water and the ice in them and everything and everyone would jump. I never did that. Like never. And I'd always just say, it's just going to give me a cold. Like it's stupid. <laughs> like I'll, I'll be sick next week if I do it and stuff. But yeah, I just hate cold water. But uh, yeah, I'll, like now here where we live, we've got a steam room and stuff. So I, um, I try to get in the steam room. 
most days. Yeah, it's good. There's no cold. Live on the Gold Coast. Well, the steam's meant to be better for you. I've read an article that heat's actually better than the cold for you, isn't it? In terms of muscle. Yeah, I don't mind, like, because our pool's super cold too. Like, I'm not sure what, what temperature it is, but it feels like an ice bath. So uh, I don't mind going in the steam and just jumping straight in the pool for like a minute or so and then getting out. But um, yeah, I like the steam. Like we've got a sauna here too, but all I do is yeah, go in the steam. I love it. It's good. Well, well tell us about Sluggos. How did, how did that start? Um, I don't really know how it's, it was a, like a long time ago, like how I sort of thought about it. But um, yeah, just sort of grew up like I always had older mates in clubbies and a lot of them like called like, you know, the swimwear sluggos and everything. So I suppose I just, I just, I think it was more of a, you know, back in the nineties and stuff. That's what people called, um, you know, togs. So and then I started calling them sluggos and I sort of looked into it and no one had called swimwear sluggos before. So I was like, oh, it's pretty good. And I was always pretty picky about um, swimwear. Like, obviously, I've had different sponsors um, growing up and they'd just send you some swimwear that would just... And I'd just be, like, looking at it. I'd be like, don't you take care in what you're doing? <laughs> like, you got the logo, buddy, upside down. you got, like, all these things going on. I'm like, hey, can't you just take a little bit of pride in your product? Um, and then, you know, someone wouldn't last and stuff like that. So I was like, I wonder if I could, you know, make my own thing and... Um, yeah, see if I could make, you know, really comfortable swimwear that um, was good. Obviously, because chlorine's um, pretty bad for a lot of swimwear that we sort of get. Because a lot of the swimwear we get is good for the salt water, but then you jump into chlorine, it's just, you know, they're done after, you know, a month. So, yeah, then it took, obviously, you're starting from nothing um, and then trying to make, um, come back with a good sample of swimwear. So, I was like back and forth for you know a year um probably like 50 different sort of samples back and forth to get like the right cuts and everything and then um yeah just went from there but like in saying that i was still racing and stuff so i try not to like if it was the only thing i was doing you'd probably put a bit more into it but it's quite hard doing everything so it was just like i just sort of took it as like a fun thing on the side for me you must Uh, have seen enough pairs of baggy baggy togs down at the surf carnivals to be like come on yeah, yeah, and then everyone sort of started wearing like jammers as well. Like they call them jammers, you know, like the knee knee length sort of um, ones. And I wasn't, I was never really a jammers person. Like in racing, like they they're faster. Um, like the really high tech ones, like they wear in the Olympics and stuff. So you'd wear them in races. But like I like I like old school stuff. Like I like old school stories. I like you know I would have loved to be an Ironman back in the nineties. So like, and they all wore togs. So like I like the togs, I don't like the, the new jammer thing. So I was trying to bring back the togs to to the kids and stuff. Yeah, so he he wears the dicky bathers down the beach. Robbie's always you've always had the togs, haven't you? I don't know. I you, like the togs. You do. It must be a nipper thing. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, no, they're they're comfortable. Though. Obviously, like I like boardies. Like when I coach and everything, I coach in boardies. Like um, just I find them comfortable, but. Like all the Bondi lifeguard guys, like um, when I went and did like the Red Bull racing cans, I gave them all um, sluggos and then they went to Hamilton Island for a triathlon, I think it was. And they sent me all these photos and they were wearing, they said they wore them for the triathlon. They wore them the whole weekend in Hamilton Island, like on the boat, to the bar, everywhere, just ran their sluggos. <laughs> they are like, they are comfortable and you sunscreen up and everything. And if you're in hot, like, you know, you're getting a tan and everything. Like, you can, it just feels like you're on holiday. <laughs> you're wearing it. Wearing yeah, 100%. It. What, what about the new skills you've developed, like, by starting a business? Obviously, yeah, you've done the, the whole sporting thing, but but jumping into, like, an entrepreneurial business and 
and getting yeah like a, a brand off the ground that must have been a lot of new were you foreign to that or is it something that you've sort of dabbled in before or experimented with yeah before? not really um yeah i haven't really done too much of it before obviously like it obviously with social media stuff it's a little bit different these days like everything like is real big with that like especially like sluggos like if you're you know, if you want to be seen, you've got to have it out there on, on social media and stuff. So I sort of did a little bit of that, but that's work like it is like, and I don't really like asking people to do things like, you know, a lot of people do, but I don't really like asking. So I've got mates that, you know, like, you know, they might be actors or whatever, like, and I don't really like, oh, can I send you a pair? Can you wear these and stuff? I just won't do it. So like, and I suppose if you really want to, like you got to do that sort of stuff but i just still won't like i don't like asking people to do things and then you know talking about um because obviously your mates aren't going to ask you to pay you pay them money to do stuff so they'll do it but i still you know like that so that was one thing like the bondi lifeguards were awesome because they actually wanted them like they went out of their way to hit me up they're like hey can you send us these sluggos we're gonna um hamilton island and i was like yeah sweet so it was like that for everyone it'd be epic but um, yeah, so, but a lot of people did. Like I had heaps of heaps of mates that were like, oh, I'll rock them and stuff like that. So I'd send them them and it was all good feedback. But um, yeah, it was different. Like I was pretty lucky, I think. Like I had a good, um, like I've got a good imagination for designs and stuff and I'm pretty sort of creative with that sort of stuff. So I'd like that sort of stuff come easy, like with like the whole like, you know, logo and everything and just getting all like the, um, not just stickers, but um, you know, packaging and stuff aesthetic like that. what it's going to yeah, look like because yeah. cool, obviously you, you got the whole packaging what's it going to come in i've got this like vision of what it wanted like i wanted like satchels so you could use them for like um you know if they're wet you could put the sluggos back in the plastic satchels and stuff like that or kids like if they had a pair of sluggos they can use a pencil case at school or something like that so i sort of knew what i wanted and it all sort of it actually wasn't that hard like it all come pretty easy the hardest thing was going back and forth to get the actual sluggos sweep because that, you know, it would get somewhere and then it would come back, you know, because it takes a while to go back and forth and then it would just go back. Like, you know, they'd send me stuff that was just so much worse than where we got to. And I'd just be like, <laughs> going on. And then they'd send me one that was perfect and I'd be like, oh, sweet. And then they'd send me one back and it was just horrible. And I'd just like that sort of stuff is tough. Yeah. Uh, and there was that, at a, we had a, a similar sort of thing with when we had our last product manufactured in China. We we're like, yeah, perfect. We had all these samples sent through and we went through some different, um, different factories and different manufacturers. And we finally got to the ones we liked. And then we picked an order and we sent, they sent them out and they're all fucked. <laughs> like, and we were like, what the fuck are we going to do? <laughs> yeah. Like all the, all, like it was, I honestly reckon probably a third of the product that we shipped from our first order was all defect. And that was after going back and forth. It's a bit the same. Not as many times as, as refining going back and forth, but yeah, it was a bit of fun. Yeah, Learning curve. They, um, they test the waters with trying to like dodge things up a little bit too. I think a lot of, that's what I heard from. So I've got friends that are really like in the swimwear thing. Like, um, you know, one of them, like, um, family owned the aqua shops around Melbourne and here on the Gold Coast and stuff. So, like, I had really good people telling me, like, you know, they can't tell you too much, really, like, but just give me advice. And a lot of the advice was, like, watch them. You go, that's why they all go to China every now and again, because they sort of need to show them, you know, we'll come here and, like, we're, we're on to you kind of thing. Whereas, like, I'm not going to China. I was like, and you, when you talk to them on the phone, they seem all right. Like, they don't seem that bad. 
but then they'd send you something as different material than what you, you know, your hat last hat. And you were like, this doesn't seem the same. <laughs> Didn't like, we just no. have this conversation? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're like, no, it's the same. It's the same. Well, 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 I'm looking at it. It's definitely not the same. So I don't think it's the same. <laughs> but yeah, so I think they, um, yeah, they try to, they try to do you a little bit. So, but you know. yeah, we'll see how we go. Up, mate. And what's next? What's on next for you? What's on for the rest of 2020? Um, well, hopefully, well, yeah, I'll keep it a little bit under wraps, but I'll be hopefully doing another record um, again. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just obviously this coronavirus thing has um, stuffed up a few plans. So I'm just hoping because um, obviously when we want to do it, it's got to be like a big, it's, oh, it'll be a big event. Yeah, this one. So, um, but it's going to be like, in combo with another sort of um business um yeah so hopefully everything sort of um opens back up and borders open and everything like that so i don't know oh, i'm sort of out of the loop I, I just look at my google every morning and see but everyone knows he's more than me so i don't know hopefully i don't know everyone no one's talking about 2021 so hopefully 2021 that's like the unspoken thing it's just everything's sweet in 2021 because no one really talks about what's going to happen next year it's all like no. up to the we'll get to Christmas. If we have a good Christmas, we can uh, reset and you've got another 12 months in, in your house. Yeah, imagine yeah. that. <laughs> That'd be brutal. Yeah, it feels I like don't know. Yeah, I don't think they can lock people up for too much longer. Like every, everything's going pretty good. Like over, like obviously there's cases in Europe and everything, but it, they're all just getting on with life. So um, I don't know. Australians were stuck in Australia for the whole 2021. I think they'll be right. Like people don't want to feel like they're stuck here. Like, you want the option to be able to go places. Well, well, what do you want to say? Mid-2021 is the next... They, that's when they're thinking they might do international travel or something again. Mm. I could be wrong. Yeah. I think that guy said July, yeah. But, like, like, I think that was their plan with their big planes. So, they could get them early, though. But um, there's always other airlines, like, if the borders mm. are open. But I'm hoping, yeah, 20. 21 but even like not even if international is july that'd be sweet but just getting the queensland victorian border and stuff but yeah like, domestic um, domestic will go insane i reckon people will see a lot more of australia i reckon if they can't go because there'll be there'll be surely hot spots won't there countries where you can't go for a bit and the world seems a bit fucked at the moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah but then like you see europe and everything like i think all those guys pretty much i think uk can go to europe and not even quarantine coming back to the uk so yeah like and you look at you know greece and spain and italy mm. and stuff like that everyone's just holidaying and like it's normal yeah, I've seen that's what i mean like buddy euro 2021 will be massive like next year that they talk about tourism will be down for whatever but next year will make up for the last you know three years or whatever everyone will go <laughs> crazy people are like i can't have this happen again i need to experience that you know what i mean but like you said before it's when it's capped in your mind like i might not be able to travel again like that's a massive deal for a lot of people you know because yeah, like, like your life experience is everything you know yeah. like like me and my girlfriend we went to bali for a month last year and that's the last thing we've done like really and i can't that was like early last year but then you add another year to it like you just want the option of knowing you can you can go. Yeah. Like you feel a bit like claustrophobic stuff in Australia, and like I don't know, people won't be happy. Like people love writing about anything, but people won't be happy if like they try to keep us in for too much longer. No, no way. So, no, no way. Yeah. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed, mate. You'll have to come down uh, Torquay, mate, when the when the borders open up and um... bring a four three wetsuit. You know, <laughs> bring some booties and a hoodie. No, just sluggos, mate. Minus thirteen. 
guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I will for sure. Or well, hopefully, um, yeah, we do this thing. Uh, hopefully, it'll be like December or January if I do. Um, yeah, what I'm planning on doing. So we'll see how we go. Exciting. Fuck yeah, man. Yeah. Well, mate, pumped to pumped to meet you and have a chat, man. I've learned a lot, and especially about the Ironman, the mindset, the endurance, and your journey, mate. It's been absolutely insane. You've got a fucking hell of a story, and thanks for spending the afternoon with us. Yeah, yeah too easy, boys. Thanks for having me. Hey, what does it take to be an Ironman? Can you leave you just get puts his runners on and just, hey, I'll go out for a, how many Ks? Like lots. 20, 20 class. Have you ever been for a 20K run? No, I don't even think I've been for a 20K walk, to be honest. Like this bloke is a machine. It's just good to like, I feel like we're at opposite ends of the spectrum. You know what I mean? With his, in terms of like dedication and just pushing himself through the pain, like physical pain, like, I just, uh, it's, it's amazing how he does it. What about when he was talking about he did the chin-up challenge and he couldn't talk after he got to the certain point. He needed help getting put on the bar. Yeah. We're asking what's, what's going through your mind when you're going through these endurance races. Like, yeah. I don't know. He's just, some people are wired differently. Yeah, man. And a pilot as well. Skydiver. Um, I just live in life on the edge, mate. If you're not living life on the edge, you're taking up too much space. I like that. Hey, if you are listening and you're still listening... We love you. Uh, like, share, subscribe. I like that. You wrapped that up nicely. That was one of your best, I reckon. Thank you. See you next episode.